Welcome to the Dignity of Women, where we dig deep into the vocation and dignity of women in the church, in modern times, and as an answer to the call for a new evangelization. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Joining me today live in person and from a beach house in Maryland where we have weathered a tropical storm together, I have Archduchess Kathleen and Archduke Imre von Habsburg of Austria. So thank you both so much for being with us today and joining us. Thank you, Kimberly. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Great, great pleasure. So the first thing I want to start with is, Imre, maybe you can just explain the name and the lineage of the Habsburgs to people who might not be familiar with what that family line looks like or what that means to the people of Austria. Yes, so basically I'm, I'm part of the Habsburg family, uh, which is a, a family that has roots in Switzerland and that came to Austria and eventually was elected. The first family member was elected emperor of the Holy Roman Empire and who was called uh, Rudolf. And that was in the 13th century, 1291 to be exact. And since then, with little interruption, um, my family was active in, let's say, European politics. And our name is Habsburg Lorraine, which dates from the wedding from Maria Theresa with Francis of Lorraine, who was a French. And her father did not have any son and thought that his daughter was very capable. So she became, you know, the head of all these different countries and he was elected emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Wow. And this continued till 1918 at the end of the First World War when finally the, the family was deposed at the end of the war. The last emperor was my great-grandfather, who was called Charles, and who was also beatified in 2004. Right, and that is huge. So we know him in America as Blessed Carl, and Kathleen, you heard of him before even meeting Imre. So what attracted you to Blessed Carl and his wife, Zita? Uh, actually, I read an article in 2010 or 2009 about your great-grandmother, the last empress, the wife of Blessed Carl, who is now has this lovely title, Servant of God, so Servant of God Sita, and I think the name of the article, the title was The, the Last Catholic Empress. And I was so inspired by her example as a wife and a mother, her example of fidelity to her vocation, her example of fidelity to her role of empress and queen and also her lifelong fidelity to Blessed Carl, even though she was widowed at the age of 29, her incredible strength of personality and character of raising her eight children on her own from the time she was 29 until her death when she was in her 90s. Wow. She raised eight children who all had the, she passed on the faith to them and they were, they all indeed kind of carried on this legacy of responsibility towards their people, even though they were deposed and very often really suffered. When the family was deposed, they were sent a little bit all over the world. Um, they didn't have any money. They lived very poorly on the charity of others. And despite this, she was just a, an incredible example. So I thought, what is antidote to what our idea of feminism is and mm -hmm. what our idea of self-actualization is and what this kind of modern ideal of a feminist woman. And here is 
this person of Zita, who was the last empress of Austria-Hungary. She went from empress to poor woman, poor widow, uh, living on the charity of others. Wow. And she lived this holy life, and I was just so inspired by the story. So, unbeknownst to me, and I really felt called at that point to kind of make her story known. I remember Mm -hmm. talking about her to some of my friends, maybe even you, Kim, at the time, saying, oh, there's this really interesting, we know we need to be talking about this woman and working towards her beatification and canonization. And a church that I very often went to in Washington, D.C., St. Mary, Mother of God, had a yearly mass in honor of Blessed Carl. Because it's a historically German church in Washington, and they had been doing for several years prior a mass in his honor. And so I said, oh, that is so cool. I'm going to go, and I hear that Archduke Imre will be there, and I'm going to tell him that I think his great-grandmother also deserves some attention. So I came, and I brought some close friends. We were the only young people, I think, at the Mass. And I love that. I remember that story. I remember you (laughs) thinking, okay, it's going to be neat to meet him. He'll probably be like, you know, 80 years old or something. And then then it'll be great. Like a title like that, and you assume things, I think. But (laughs) And um, then you were shocked, right? When you saw Imre, you were like, where's the Archduke right. or something? Well, Expecting to see this man many, many years older than him. Right. I think I did probably Google him beforehand or something. But when I first heard that you would be there, I definitely thought you would be like an older guy. And then I saw, what is, he's like, he looks like he's our age. And then afterwards, we all kind of went up and introduced ourselves. And you had just arrived in Washington. I had just arrived and I was informed that there was a mass for my Greek grandfather. And I was very surprised. I didn't know that he was known in in America. Right. Or at least not in in Washington, in this parish. And so they they had a a mass in in his honor. And it was the 21st of October. So that's really his feast day. Wow. And it's an important day because John Paul II, when he beatified Blessed Carl, he chose this date because it's his wedding day. Okay. So it's the date where in 1911 they were both married. And so I think it was the 99th uh, anniversary of their wedding, which was a, a very symbolic uh, moment. And of course, we did not realize this at the moment, that this was the first time we would meet. Wow, on that, that anniversary. On that that day, is on amazing. That, that she had a devotion to Tzita, to and I had always a great devotion to my great grandfather, praying to him uh, a lot, entrusting to him also my vocation. Right. And and so I, I came to this mass with you know a lot of joy and told to the people very in a very simple way that I was very happy to meet so many people and and I didn't know many people and right. so mm-hmm. I think many parishioners came afterwards to greet me and among others a group of who are now my my good <laughs> friends <laughs> and my wife. <laughs> now was there anything special about that moment at the time? I mean, some people. Yeah have stories where it was just a meeting and this person was nice and there was nothing. (laughs) Was there anything specific when you met your wife that you felt there was something different about her than anyone? She was definitely very charming. (laughs) And uh, I really wanted to accept the proposition to get a beer with all of these people. Oh yeah, Uh we wanted to tell that part. We had asked him to go get a beer with us and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. I have something after this very politely and we said Mm -hmm. we've never met the descendant of a saint before right i'm sure he does not drink (laughs) he's much too holy very proper right i would have loved to but unfortunately i I could not 
and but we we kept in touch and 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 became very good friends and i think what really struck me or what made us take the decision to advance together was the faith that we shared uh-huh. values strong principles and also i was very impressed about her fight for for life for the right. sanctity of, of life yes coming from europe this is of course a topic but you rarely meet people who are very very committed or if yes they're more politicians and she was very and dedicated she was grassroots she was yes, dedicated, very dedicated. a whole career in this in this topic that you can tell about but it was something that really struck me and and i was very focused on the family i thought it was very important to protect the family that is so attacked nowadays right the first cell of 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 a society and so of course this goes together you know pro-family pro-life and and i just felt like a like a fish in the water right (laughs) and i'm wondering what it was like when you first learned when you were a child that you were the descendant of a saint when did that click for you so I think it was done in a, in a very natural way. Um, for us, the, the dinner was a, always a very important moment where my father and my mother would both talk about family history, about uh, many different ancestors, but also looking at the future. That was always important, not to be stuck in the past, mm-hmm. but to understand the past in order to better understand and position ourselves for the future. And so uh, Blessed Carl was, of course, a, a key figure. And uh, we were all present in 2004 on the big square of St. Peter's. Wow. So this was a very important moment. And, of course, a little bit before that, I, I realized that there was a process of beatification. But I have to say uh, it came a little bit later, maybe when I was between after 14 years old, when I started mm-hmm. reading a lot about him. I did also some papers in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, about about him, about his letters of negotiations with his brothers-in-laws, mm-hmm. you know, to achieve peace in in Europe. So so all this was very important uh, to me, absolutely. It's more highlighted and more common that you have priests and religious that are saints. That's and I remember, true. yes, I remember one time, my oldest kind of being discouraged, like so it's not possible to be a saint and to be in a family. I think that Blessed Carl and Zita are examples. Perfect, like we need those examples in modern time. And as well as Kathleen said, mm-hmm. not only were they this position of royalty, but then also Zita lived a lot of her adult life not having the title and not having the status and not even having money of her own to take care of her children and herself and. That was such a radical shift in lifestyle, and I think many people would really fall apart. She is the antithesis of that spirit mm-hmm. of demanding. In that way, you can see the two of them were such good companions for each other along mm-hmm. their spiritual journeys, which unfortunately was cut so short yeah. by his early death. That reminds me, one of the things that is so impressive about the two of them, they both had this incredible spirit of service to each other to their family and to their people and you see this from a to z in their lives to inherit a crown to be called to the throne actually can be very often and very often is a, a big cross it's a it's a challenge it's a vocation mm-hmm. and they saw it as a vocation and they uh, there are stories of blessed carl on his coronation day when he was crowned king of hungary he saw it as, as almost a sacrament and a sacred duty from god and he said okay and he took all of the peoples of the empire 
and almost and Rudy as a father figure for them. And when he was dying, he he said, you know, it's I've tried always to do the will of God to my utmost ability, and it I think it is the will of God that I die so that my people come together again. And so he really felt like that father giving up his life for his people, for his wow. children. And that that spirit of service was to service in general, but also this idea of, of their vocation and unity in their vocation together as a couple. And there's that there's actually been recently a book written for um, engaged couples, kind of like a, a wow. preparation for marriage with Carl and Zita. I mean, you can look at their lives in so many. You could you could take away everything about their life as as rulers mm-hmm. and just look at them as an example of holiness in the married right. life and it's just absolutely incredible and that is very much needed mm-hmm. as well union. something like that the I think bold, it's called a yeah. bold union okay they um or you could look at them as in as this very united couple um at the head of this empire that was engaged in a, a losing war mm-hmm they tried everything that they could. The reason he's, he has this wonderful moniker of the peace emperor, he was the only head of state engaged in World War I that was actively working for peace and mm-hmm. who accepted the peace proposal of Benedict XV. And so for that, he always had received this, this title of the peace emperor. Wow. Um, That's a beautiful And his title dedication to, to that peace cost him many friends, many allies. He, he was ready to give everything, his throne, his very life for peace. And can you explain what happened, why he had to go into exile, and what did that look like from the exile to the end of his life? When he was on the island of Madeira, they, they lived in a very poor, very simple way because they, they left Switzerland, their first exile uh, place on the shore of the Geneva Lake, um, with almost nothing to uh, attempt a restoration in Hungary and they were captured there after seeing a, a mass because the mass was always the most important moment in, in their everyday lives and they were put on a boat and later on the kids were also sent to this island of Madeira so they were living there without money a f- generous family put a house at the disposition of the family mm-hmm. which was on top of a hill and so in the summer it was beautiful but they arrived, I think, in October or November, and the winter came, and it got very cold, very humid, and heat, and, and got the pneumonia, which put him in bed. But I think even more important is, is that he was praying every day. They had a chapel close mm-hmm. to this house, and he was uh, spending a lot of time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. He had a, a passion for, for that. Mm-hmm. And one day, he felt very clearly that God was asking him, the the ultimate sacrifice of his life but he also felt that he didn't have to answer straight away and that he was very free in his answer mm-hmm. and together with his wife Sita they took the decision to to say yes to this sacrifice even though they had seven kids and the, the eighth one was about to be born wow oh so, so he died before he died the last before the, child the last was one. born mm-hmm. yeah and and so the, there's a whole spiritual dimension to his death because it was really an offering of his life. He was only 34 when he died, wow. which is that's an extreme very sacrifice. close to the to the age of Christ, an age where you want to do full of things in life. Uh, you have all your projects and and dedication to these countries. 
they're on this island. This house is not offering all the best climate and conditions for the family. Absolutely. You would think that you would want to be there for that protection. And I think we've talked about that so many times of choosing the best decision. I would just feel that there would be this hesitation to accept the offer of Christ to suffer and sacrifice your own life in the midst of leaving your family. It would be different if they were in Austria or if they were taken care of, surrounded by wealth and family and friends, and you knew that they had all the comforts. But the real sacrifice is that you're completely entrusting them in their poverty to say, okay, Lord, I give them to you and I know that even though this does not look good this looks very bleak for our family that somehow you're going to provide for them absolutely I think there was a total trust in God but in a very human way he was thinking constantly of his wife and children and Mm -hmm. how they would do that Mm -hmm. and there is a there is a moment that was recorded as well um, in a written way where he says promise me that when I die, you go to the king of Spain. He promised me that he would welcome you in his country. So you can you can tell that's exactly what you're saying. He's thinking. You can tell that he's thinking, like, what will happen to my family on this island? And, and was that true? It was true. That was true. Yeah, yeah, okay, was good. True. They stayed maybe one or two weeks and then left for, left for Spain. And the king, Alfonso XIII, welcomed them. And they spent quite a few years in Lequecho which is a a place in the north of of Spain. It has been talked about a lot. There are two phrases uh, of Blessed Carl that many people have already heard. The first is uh, on the day before the one he said, um, he turned to Zita and said, now we have to get each other to heaven. So this became really the program of their married life. And it's so simple but so profound Mm -hmm. for everybody. And then as he lay dying, his final words were to his wife and to Jesus. And he said to Zita, I will love you endlessly and if love is an action and a choice I think we can see through her life her widowhood the lives of his grandchildren and now his great-grandchildren like you we see him actively loving all of us um, even today so yes I think that must have been so from his father's heart so difficult to Mm -hmm. leave to leave his children his wife but he promised from his bedside with that sentence, I will love you endlessly, to, to take care of them. And he has so well. And you can see that through the 100 years since he's died. Right. And I think that is something with the saints that we really get this profound reality of the next life. And that you're not completely separated. There's still an interaction between the church in heaven and the church on earth and the church in purgatory. They're also connected and... That's something that's so beautiful about our Catholic faith. To see someone like Zita, who again is the opposite of what we think of as a strong woman. She would die in exile, you know, living this life of a widow for so many years Uh and the way that her life would go down. But if she could have seen the way that it would have ended, she still would have chose him. She Uh still would have chose this life. Uh And I think that's the thing about the saints. Right. But it's also a whole life of saying yes to Jesus and the little things. And Blessed Carl, that was the motto of his life. Your will be done, Lord. 
And his, I talked earlier about his last words to Zita, his last words to our Lord were, yes, my Jesus, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Yeah. And I don't remember what author said that, but they're like, they said something about you're practicing, each person has one word that they're practicing for their whole lives, and they'll say that word for eternity. For Mary, that word was yes, her fiat. Wow. And for Blessed Carl, it was also his word to our Lord, yes. And just like you think of like Maximilian Kolbe and all these great saints who were able to, in that final moment, say yes but why because they had been practicing their whole life right. and, and little things and big things to say yes everything everywhere they could and if they hadn't had that practice before of always saying yes and being faithful in small things they don't think they would have been able to in the final moment to also say yes on his deathbed when he's about to leave his wife his beloved wife and his beloved eight children right. to be able to also give that Jesus I trust in you yes Lord and I remember when I heard a talk about him, one of the things that struck me, and I don't know why this struck me because it is such a small thing, but I think it was that he was watching fireworks with his family and he was casting his eyes down to the ground and Zita asked him, you know, why aren't you enjoying this beautiful celebration? It's so beautiful. And he said something about how he was practicing self-denial or even though it wasn't anything that you needed to cast your eyes away from but there were just little practices of sacrifice that he could do in his life to give up enjoyment in little ways I don't know why out of that whole talk and yeah. so many amazing things and struck by many things but one thing that God wanted me to hear specifically was that way that we can sacrifice and I've thought about that little piece of information about Blessed Carl so many times since then and for some reason that little piece of information is something that I endears me to him and when we think about like St. Therese, you know, not taking the biggest piece of cake, it's going to be an interior denial. And it's very small, like a big piece of cake or a small piece of cake. It's just the more you practice these small things, it gets easier and easier. And like you said, until the end, God says, okay, you've been taking these baby steps and now I need the ultimate sacrifice. I think being a great, great saint is about doing little things mm -hmm. in an extraordinary way. And so the, the story that you just told mm -hmm. is, is very, I think is very inspiring for, for many people. Mm -hmm. And also it's something that's very achievable. It's hard, but it's achievable to, to, to all of us. We all need to be self-disciplined. We are all able to do little sacrifices, but it's very difficult. And, uh, and Pope Benedict said that the world offers you comfort, but we were not made for comfort, we were made for, for greatness. And this greatness is all about this sainthood that we need to, to aim at. Right. And, and so all these saints, and uh, not only the religious one, but also the lay people, are wonderful examples for us to, to follow in a very practical way. Right. So that's why I like it very and much. If he was this emperor of peace in the midst of all this war and chaos, how does the emperor of peace wind up in exile? I guess it's a lot like we think of how does Christ, who is the prince of peace, end up on the crucifix? Here he is preaching about peace. How does that kind of a person end up not wanted? I think when you really want to follow Christ, you need to follow him until the end. And even Christ says it, you know, in the gospel, like, if you want to follow me, take your cross and, and, and follow me, basically. 
and you see it in different ways with different saints but blessed Carl was really this when he decided one day that from now on he will try to accomplish the will of God no matter what this means in good times and in bad times but very often it means to take your cross and and follow Christ and so it makes sense basically that he he died a little bit like a martyr in great sufferings mm -hmm. because he was he was he had the grace to do it he had the capacity to do it and also a calling to offer his life which is valuable like every every other life mm -hmm. uh, but especially when you're young and a young father mm -hmm. and so on it's it's maybe even more valuable because mm -hmm. you, you give up a big part of your potential life mm -hmm. that you can have mm -hmm. and this has a huge loads of, of graces mm -hmm. pouring down not only on his family even though I'm convinced that we all received a lot of graces because none of us has lost the faith in the whole mm. family and we are numerous Wow! and that's uh, I trace it directly to him because he's taking care of yes. because he's definitely taking care but also to many other families and his peoples mm -hmm. right. throughout Europe yeah. and then his sacrifice is worth it you know that's mm, one way that you're honoring his yeah. sacrifice by mm. staying true to the faith and yeah and, and we have a couple yeah. of vacations as well wow for the priests so it's going to be know, a, a be great blessed. family reunion in heaven right oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> i think it's worth saying too the the way that the church sees success and the difference between the way the church sees success and the way the world sees success because in the eyes of the world blessed carl was kind of a failure he was the last emperor after a 700-year dynasty, the last of a great house in a way. Under his watch, the Austro-Hungarian Empire dissolved into many countries, and the world, I think, wants to laugh at that. Mm -hmm. But the church sees things completely differently, and the church has raised him up on this as this wonderful title of, of blessed, so it was a model for all of us of holiness and of sanctity. So the world tries to convince us to chase after greatness in the eyes of the world ask his intercession to help us see with the eyes of faith and with the eyes of the church and to chase holiness instead of instead of kind of worldly greatness right yeah so many saints i think of joan of arc you know mm -hmm. she died away from the church at least in the eyes of the bishops that right. did her trial you know she's a witch and mm -hmm. she's severed from the church yeah. and she dies being burned to death and so in that local time you think wow what a failure you know mm -hmm. this person was so wrong and mm -hmm. but yet god you know redeems that and makes it right and right. of course shows us again and again what his idea of success like you mm -hmm. said is which is holiness but again and again it seems like we fall for it in the world searching for this prestige this fame this mm -hmm. money this power over and over again and so the saints are just constant reminders mm -hmm. in every generation so it's nice to have blessed carl and zita also when you're talking about how uh, zita and her this, this femininity versus feminism uh -huh. she was a very strong character she had she was extremely intelligent she had clear ideas she had a obviously a force of character that allowed her to raise eight children as a widow and then yes of, that's not a weak woman no <laughs> and so that's another thing that i think always drew me to her like just wow i don't think i i'm sure i could not have done what she has done and incredible internal strength yeah yeah absolutely and my last question would be 
How has their influence affected your marriage? Going in, you talked about an engaged couple's book based on their faithfulness in marriage. So for you two, when you think about every day as you continue to raise your children and you continue to be spouses to one another, how has their influence and how does their influence on the day-to-day continue to focus you in marriage and towards Christ? Well, he had eight children, so that's already a first model. <laughs> <laughs> Open this to life. <laughs> You're halfway there. We four, halfway, <laughs> and, and that's definitely a, a great example as well of somebody who's very open to life. Right. Um, but but then I think for me, and then then you you have to tell what you what's important for you. But this perspective he had about marriage, seeing marriage as a as a way for as a vocation basically for a real purpose which is to be united to God one day so it's not the finality marriage is not the finality but it's a it's a mean basically to go to this finality a path of sanctity a path of sanctity yeah and and I like to 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 see our our marriage um, as this kind of path where we need to you know we're, we're all struggling in our couples and and we have good times we have difficult times with the children, sometimes it can be difficult. Uh, with work, I mean, life is, is not easy, but when the couple is strong and when we can help each other and when we can really die to ourselves and, and live more and more for, for the other, then this whole marriage gives another perspective and a, and a wonderful perspective. Right. So for me, that's a great example that they show us and they show to, to all the couples in the world. Right. So many aspects of their marriage are, I think, inspiring to us. Their life of prayer together, their unity together, their unity of purpose is just so beautiful. And kind of again, going back as you said with the path of the path of sanctity, like now we have to get each other to heaven. And yeah, that's a that's as you like to say the whole program. Yeah. So <laughs> have a whole a whole program to advance together and. Yeah. And Kathleen, you came from America, and you were not part of a royal family or anything like that. So how hard was the transition for you spiritually? You were entering not just a royal family, but a family that was descendants of saints. That's also Mm -hmm. could be intimidating as Mm -hmm. well. What was the feeling for you when you first kind of embraced that, that this is going towards marriage and my life is going to change in so many different ways. My children will be connected to this bloodline and these ancestors that I've admired from afar, Uh you know, but now it's becoming so real. Obviously, Zita was watching over you Uh from above and she had a a plan for you the whole time you were praying, you know, and asking her intercession. Uh It's probably kind of funny to think she was laughing at where it would end up yeah but how has the spirit of all of that been for you to embrace it was certainly a lot of new experiences at the beginning going to very often to europe i had been to europe before but immersing myself in a new culture and learning new languages and but still just united by our faith and our convictions with the realization that i would be joining a, a wonderful family of some beautiful individuals were very blessed to have a beautiful unity in, in my family-in-law among brothers and sisters and in-laws and parents-in-law and cousins. Leading up to that 
one of the great gifts that I had in my discernment towards marriage, despite all these kind of externals that were certainly strange for an American, um, was a profound sense of peace. And I, I always tell this to unmarried girls, like if you are discerning marriage, either to a particular man or in general, look for that sense of peace. If you're dating mm -hmm. someone and you don't have that sense of peace, then that's a good answer that you need to break up. If mm -hmm. you do have that sense of peace, and that doesn't mean that you'll never have fights or that you'll never have disagreements or that it will always be easy. It won't be easy, mm -hmm. but there will be somehow a sense of peace that you're on a good path and that mm -hmm. God is watching over you and taking care of it. And I did have that in such a profound way when I was dating with all these variables and wondering how we were going to make this long distance relationship work and what my life would look like. I would be leaving my family. I would be learning new languages. How would I do that with our children? And, and there was just a, a great peace in all of that. And there still is, which I thank the good mm -hmm. Lord. That's so, a great testimony, yeah. though, peace. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's true because especially in the midst of all this pressure, I'm going to leave my family, I'm going to live in a different country, I'm going to learn new languages. There's so many variables on top of how many people just have anxiety because their life is going to change. Mm -hmm. They're going to be sharing it with another person, even if they're down the street or something like that, speak uh, the same language. So the fact that on top of all of those aspects there was peace, I think mm -hmm. that's a real testimony to the fact that God's working. And, Absolutely. you know, people can say that in every vocation. Despite how crazy mm -hmm. this might have seemed to embrace whatever vocation he was calling you to and whatever you were giving up or embracing for the first time, new adventures, It, I think that that's really well said, especially to young people mm -hmm. who are wondering, how do I know that this mm -hmm. is right? That peace is the gateway mm -hmm. to a loving... <laughs> relationship you know and even when we are united with Christ we feel that peace mm -hmm. it's not always that we're gonna have it easy or no. <laughs> not suffer but through it all there's gonna be peace well I want to thank you both for being with us today our guests today have been the Archduchess Kathleen and Archduke Imre von Habsburg of Austria descendant of Blessed Carl and Zita of Austria and of course Cecilia. Thank you for being here with us, Thank guys. You very much. <laughs> no power.